today on Ag News Daily. I'm very fortunate that there was a place for me in the family business, first and foremost, and I have to give a lot of, of credit and gratitude to not only my parents, Paul and Darlene Lopes, but my grandparents, who were able to set our business up in a way where multiple generations can work. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am certainly cheering that it is a Friday, Ashton. I am wiped out. I'm not going to lie. I definitely feel you. I told you a second ago that my allergies were bothering me this morning. So I've kind of been lazy today, to be honest. Haven't really done a whole lot. Yeah, you know, I have also had pretty bad allergies this year. I don't know if any of our listeners have. And I got LASIK back in December of last year, partially, obviously, because my eyes, you know, I didn't want to wear glasses and contacts anymore. But I also kind of thought that that was supposed to help with allergies. That's what I'd heard from some folks who had gotten it done in the past. And I tell you what, I almost feel like my allergies are worse after getting LASIK. I don't know if the two are connected or if just this year. There's just a lot more allergens out there in the air, but... It's not been uh, not been great for me either, although it's a little bit of a mixed bag because when we've been having this hotter and drier weather, my allergies seem to be a little bit better. But of course, then we're not getting rain for the much needed rain we need for crops. And we were supposed to get some rain yesterday as well as today. We really didn't get a whole lot. So I think much of the country uh, needs some rain at this point. And I saw this funny tweet. Let me see if I can... Remember who sent it out? I'll have to dig. I think it was Bam, Bam X, um, sent out a funny tweet that was basically something along the lines of, you know, we didn't get rain that we needed and they can't figure out the weather models at this point because there are a lot of conflicting weather models that are saying a lot of different things. And it's really hard to predict at this point. Yeah, in in the newsletter for the network, I wrote the little editorial piece this week talking about drought um, because the U.S. drought monitor was talking about or reporting, you know, the the parts of the country that are in an exceptional drought. And um, in in the report, I think that parts of eastern Iowa, Delaney, are supposed Mm -hmm. to get some rain like the 22nd through the 26th and some other parts of the Corn Belt. But I mean, you can't hold me to that. Yeah, I certainly hope that is the case because we really, really could use it. I definitely understand that, Delaney. It's getting a lot hotter down here in Texas. Yeah, while we're on the topic of weather, you know, we saw markets pick back up today. Not necessarily all entirely related on weather, but I was sad I didn't get to be on the podcast podcast yesterday, Ashton, because markets were so crazy. I think a lot of folks were concerned, but we did see things finish out the week, at least uh, on an upside here. So definitely going to be interesting to chat markets on Monday. Absolutely, Delaney. But for right now, we've got to cover some last bits of news for the week. And this was reported earlier in the week on the 16th, to be exact, but we didn't report on it. And I I don't know how it kind of slipped through the cracks, because I think there's some interesting numbers taken to effect here, or taken to consideration, excuse me. So what I'm talking about is China and their hog herds. Of course, they've been struggling for multiple years now with African spine fever, and nobody really knows, I think, what the status is. I think we're all kind of questioning the uh, the news and uh, what China has been reporting on, but 
Citing data from the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs, state media in China said that the country's pig herd rose 23.5% from May a year earlier. The report also showed the sow herd increased 19% year over year. And I, I think that it's interesting. I don't know how... I don't know if I should believe this information yeah. or not, just because they have been so wishy-washy, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Ash. I mean, you always have to take what they're putting out with a grain of salt. But one thing we don't have to take with a grain of salt is the numbers we saw in May as far as China's imports because we've got some uh, final numbers here. But we saw them, of course, purchasing a lot of U.S. corn throughout the month of May. And so much so that they raised purchases of the feed grain by nearly 400% in May compared to a year ago. Uh, Of course, this connects to your story, Ashen, because we're assuming China is buying so much more corn to replenish their hog herd as well as replenish their state stockpiles. So that's maybe one indication. That's probably something we should talk to uh, Darren Newsom about too on Monday, but that may be one indication to tell us somewhat uh, how their rebuilding of the hog herd is going. But, you know, the only part of that that we just really can't know ever for sure is how much of that is going towards stockpiles and how much of that is actually going to hog feed. And just some more numbers to throw at you here, Delaney. In China's pork and hog prices have fallen over 50% this year. So I feel like, you know, there's kind of two sides here, and I'm not really sure if both of them are true, if one is true or neither. So I I don't know. I definitely think that it's interesting, though. And like you said, we're going to have to talk about this on Monday. So I'm excited already. I mean, I do want my weekend break, but I'm already looking forward to Monday. (laughs) Me too. Me too, Ashton. Let's see here. In other news, uh, we saw, of course, earlier this week, as I mentioned, President Biden and President Putin met at the Geneva Convention. But we also are seeing Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell will be taking the spotlight again next week after his changed tone. Uh, He made an appearance on in Congress on Tuesday saying that they should have some insight soon here into their expected predictions, and they are anticipating tighter monetary policies. They also signaled that uh, things are perking up here and that the economy is strengthening, and they're citing that somewhat to not only commodity prices, but of course things like lumber, oil, uh, copper, metals, etc. But uh, overall, they're pointing to markets that are strong. They're talking to a or pointing to a strong financial economy for the United States and the potential, of course, here for some interest rate increases, since we've seen those at a low here for quite some time. But they're suggesting interest rates probably won't raise, they won't see those raised until 22, if not 2023. But overall, they're pointing to a booming economy, uh, especially after coming back here, making a comeback, I suppose, from COVID. Well, Delaney, we've seen some more movement from President Biden as he has selected former House Ag Committee member Zoshal Torres Small as his pick for Undersecretary of Rural Development at USDA. The White House said that Torres Small has employed her experience 
organizing in vulnerable rural communities to achieve lasting investments that combat persistent poverty. Ag Secretary Vilsack says that her nomination is in response to rural stakeholders in Congress who have emphasized the importance of having a dedicated advocate for rural communities and her expertise will further USDA's mission to advance equity and opportunity in and for rural America. Now, Delaney, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to, you know, those who have been in office before, just because I haven't ever been in a position to talk about it. And now that I am paying attention to these kinds of things, I think that Biden's team of leaders is very diverse, which is something that he's been talking about for quite some time. Yeah, he uh, definitely, that was one of his probably platform campaign things, if you will, was to have a diverse administration. And we're seeing that play out right now. You know, we've talked to Administrator Duchanel, who's obviously a little more diverse than your average FSA administrator, probably to some extent. But we are certainly seeing those dynamics play out right now, which have been good and bad for agriculture. So we'll see how that continues. But one thing that's also playing out right now, partially due to the administration, is those biofuel refiner credits. Well, U.S. merchant refiners have amassed up to $1.6 billion in shortfalls due to these credits that they will now need to comply with U.S. biofuel laws, according to Reuters. They put together here a review of corporate disclosures, basically looking at if the Biden administration lets them off the hook, what will happen to the biofuel industry? And $1.6 billion is what we could see as a shortfall here, depending on, again, how much, how many of those waivers that they do in fact pass out and to what capacity do they allow it? Are we talking a full waiver? Are we talking just written credit here, et cetera? But definitely could be pretty detrimental to the biofuel industry. Well, Delaney, it was a bit of a slow day for me personally and a bit of a slow day in the news. So I'm all out of things to talk about. Yeah, I think I am as well, Ashton, other than, of course, chatting markets for today before we get into our Agrad 30 Under 30 interview. But like I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, we definitely had a turnaround in the markets today. Uh, didn't pick up, obviously, all of our losses yesterday. Corn picked up about half of their losses. Soybeans also right around about 50% of what they lost yesterday. So we did see markets turn around today. But again, we'll talk markets on Monday to get the extended forecast here moving forward with Darren Newsom. But in the meantime, July corn closed up 22 and a quarter cent to end at 655 and a quarter. Dees up 33 and three quarters cents to close at 566 and a quarter. In soybean pits, the July contract adding 66 and a quarter cent to close at 1396. November up 60 and a quarter cent to close at 1313. Chicago wheat higher today with the July contract adding 23 and three quarters cents to close at 6.62 and three quarters. The September up 22 and three quarters cents to close at 6.65 and three quarters. Hopping over to look at the livestock markets today, we saw some mixed trade across the protein markets today with live cattle higher and feeder cattle mostly lower. August live cattle 45 cents higher to end at 121.50. The October up 37.5 cents to close at 126.95. In feeder cattle today, the August contract shedding most of what they uh, put on the board yesterday to close $2.37.5 lower to end at 155.02. The September down $1.87.5 to close at 157.22.5. 
And in lean hogs today, the July contract down two dollars thirty-two and a half cents to close at one hundred eight sixty-seven and a half. The October down fifty-two and a half cents to close at one hundred six sixty-seven and a half. And wrapping things up here with our Class Three dairy milk futures lower today, with the July contract shedding twelve cents to close at sixteen seventy. The August down eighteen to close at seventeen twenty six. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Tony Lopes. Today's Agrad thirty under thirty. Well, for this week's 30 Under 30 segment, we are talking to a fourth-generation dairy farmer, Tony Lopes, who is the operations team leader of Tony L. Lopes Dairy. Tony, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So, Tony, before we really get started talking about your background and all of that sweet stuff, how about you tell us what's going on in California? Is it pretty hot and dry over there? Yeah, we've uh, been fortunate to have a, a pretty mild spring and early summer, uh, but at the end of this the week, um, as of recording, uh, they're calling for a pretty uh, a pretty big hot spell uh, somewhere in the ballpark of 110 to 112 uh, here in, in the north part of the Central Valley and potentially a degree or two hotter in the South Valley. Um, I, I say we've been fortunate to be cool thus far, um, though coming off of our winter, historically what, what is our rainy season through the winter, and uh and late spring it's it's been pretty dry out here so we're we're adapting kind of on the fly and and uh just about just about everyone in in our neighborhood's got their corn up and out of the ground and we're just hoping that uh that the weather holds and and we can finish a good crop yeah absolutely i think that's what farmers here in the midwest are hoping for as well but tony tell us a little bit more about your dairy farm and what your family does in the ag industry so Tony L. Lopes Dairy is uh, a fourth-generation uh, dairy farm in Gustine, California, which is about an hour and a half uh, northwest of Fresno, uh, for those of you familiar with, with the geography of California. Uh, we, uh, across four different facilities, myself and my family, my parents, Paul and Darlene Lopes, uh, operate 4,000 mature Holstein cows, uh, raise all our own heifers on site, um, do forage production on approximately 2,000 acres, and then we also have a 25-head uh, annual uh, feeder cattle operation where we're marketing uh, dairy dairy beef crosses, predominantly Angus Holstein crossbred cattle, uh, into the the feedlot industry across the Western United States. And uh, my my involvement in the operation um, has uh, in you know increased over time as as with with many of your listeners and, and fellow agriculturalists that were born into the industry, they've, they've kind of been involved since birth. Uh, but upon graduation from Cal Poly San Luis Obispo in 2018, I had the opportunity to return home and uh, work alongside my family members in the operations team leader role where I'm responsible for uh, approximately 40 uh, direct reports, employees, and, and uh, doing everything I can to integrate data and modern production strategies to to ensure that our family business can continue to flourish um, into the future. So, Tony, I want to talk about going back to the family farm. I feel like it's kind of a, a trend that people aren't really going back. I mean, we're growing as an industry, but I mean, our farmers are getting older and older. So really, what made you want to go back and continue on this legacy? I'm I'm very fortunate that 
there was a place for me in the family business first and foremost, and I have to give a lot of, of credit and gratitude to not only my parents, Paul and Darlene Lopes, but my grandparents who uh, were able to set our business up in a way where multiple generations can work side by side in, in a productive way. Um, prior to coming back, um, you know, through my education, I took every opportunity available to me to, to learn and grow. Um, I certainly always knew that I had a passion for agriculture, but it really wasn't until I, I just about finished up my studies at Cal Poly um, before I knew that I would be back on the farm. Um, over the course of my education, I had the opportunity to uh, complete a number of, of internships um, in Indiana, California, and Seoul, South Korea, uh, just to try and gain a better understanding of all that our industry has to offer. So I had the opportunity to work with uh, Elanco Animal Health out of their corporate office, um, Dow AgriSciences, um, which post-merger is now Corteva AgriScience, had the opportunity to work with them in, in a sales-type role, in an agronomic role, and then and do some marketing with the California Milk Advisory Board in, in Korea. So I had a, the, the great fortune of seeing a lot of different aspects of what agriculture could be. But at the end of the day, um, the opportunity that you have as a production agriculturalist to, to live and work and, uh, you know, work on a day-to-day -day basis with the cattle and the land and the opportunity to uh, bring some of these business practices that I learned in, you know, my internship experience and learned through my education, bring that back on farm. Um, that's just something that, that really, really excited me. And so, again, uh, give a lot of uh, credit and, and gratitude to, to my family for making it possible for me to come back. And, and it's, it's one of the best decisions I ever made. The opportunities that I have to, uh, to really learn and grow, uh, in, in my mind, are unparalleled by anything else I, I could be doing. And it's always a good story when we we hear of guys and gals that are able to get back to their family's operation. And it's awesome that your family's been able to support that move for you. But tell us a little bit more. You've had a lot of experiences, like you've mentioned, and you've brought some of those back to the farm, as I'm sure. But tell us a little bit more about some of the technology that you use on your operation, because it sounds like that helps you guys make a lot of your key decisions. Yep, absolutely. And I, I would even... Uh, you know, technology is, is, is kind of a broad term, and I, I think the majority of agriculturalists, even even perhaps against against their will, technology has just become such a um, you know you, you you can't buy a new tractor that it seems without GPS and, and things of that nature. Um, so it for me it it sort of goes beyond just the technology and and actually looking at a lot of the data that we generate. So the technology that allows us to to you know, on, on whatever facet of our, our farm, whether we're talking genomic testing or, or uh, you know, various mechanisms by which we, you know, we can track cows, artificial insemination, all these different, you know, the technologies that have been grown and, and, and built out through over the course of, of, of the previous decades. That to me is, is great and it's, it's vital to our industry. But what really, in my mind, can set a, an operation apart is when you can take the data that those technologies allow you to generate and utilize that to make uh, better decisions, better strategic decisions, whether it's financial data, uh, individual cow performance data, acre by acre, um, you know, specific performance data on the agronomic side. Uh, that, that to me is really where the technology gets fun uh, because today I'm able to manage so many more aspects of our cows experience and performance in our herd than, than my parents were five years ago. My grandparents uh, were able to do 20, 30, 40 years ago. 
where we can actually aggregate this data uh, and, and utilize it in, in aspects similar to that of, you know, uh, each and every one of us has a credit score. And that's, you know, the, the financial services industry was able to find a way where they can predict our credit worthiness and our ability to pay them back based on a number of prerequisite um, uh, demographic type, type data points. And now we're sitting in a position today where we can do the same thing on our herd of cows, on our feeder cattle and say, you know, based on the previous, you know, 3,000 completed lactation records and the genomic testing data that we've got in there and the milk test data that we've got in there, that we can actually begin making predictions as to individual cow performance and drive that forward at a faster rate than, than ever before. So um, for me, the, the ability to, to integrate technology into our current system not only makes us more efficient in the present day, but allows us to make much better decisions than, than were ever previously available to us. And so uh, utilizing that alongside uh, some of the, the components of the corporate world that I was able to learn in, in, in my work there, um, you know, building a, a solid team culture, um, learning a lot about business organization and, and strategic development of our key talent that way that uh, each and every day we can put the right person in the right position to succeed and make sure that we're making a decision that is going to benefit, benefit us in the long run. And so um, just, just get really, really excited to take some of those core business principles from within our industry, uh, outside our industry, and be able to drop them into agriculture, which traditionally, um, you know, has, has been a very traditional family-based business. So they haven't, um, you know, the average agriculturalist perhaps has not had it um, as much of a, of a market force or a pressure to, to force them into some of the technological advances that have occurred, you know, in, in the financial services industry or the human healthcare industry. And so it's, it's really exciting that there's so many available tools to us to be able to bring that into agriculture and, and produce more with less and, and truly become more efficient and productive. Well, Tony, I just want to thank you once more for coming on and talking to us today. Very excited that you are a part of the 30 Under 30 cohort. Congratulations on that and good luck to you and uh, all that's going on at the dairy. Yep. Thank you very much and uh, look forward to, to continue to be a part of this industry and, and hopefully ensure that there's another generation that, that gets to come back to Tony L. Lopes Dairy. So thank you very much. Thanks again to Tony for coming on and talking to us today. I think it's very interesting, you know, what he kind of has in store and the vision that he has for his family dairy, you know, moving forward when it comes to data collection and technology. Absolutely. He is certainly worthy of being a 30 under 30 cohort, uh, as obviously all of them have been up until this point. Absolutely, Delaney. And we will continue to feature those stories here on the Ag News Daily podcast, which you can listen to at agnewsdaily.com. And if you aren't already, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.